If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 644. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. While you're at YouTube, if you like the podcast, click on that little heart underneath the video. That's the super thanks button. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. You can also go to McClanahanAcademy.com. You can purchase one or 20 of my courses there. My latest is reading John C. Calhoun. If you're on my email list, which you do by going to brianmcclanahan.com, giving me an email address, I give you a free ebook when you do that. But when you're on that email list, you get those coupons to get a great deal on this new class. And that deal ends June 4th. So if you're listening to this the week of June 4th, 2022, you're going to get a great deal on that reading John C. Calhoun class, the best deal you'll ever get. So you want to pick it up now while you can, because you'll never see it for this low price again. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com, click on the support tab, throw a few pennies my way that way, click on the shop tab, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share the podcast around on social media. That's how we grow the audience. Send me those show requests. Also, there's Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. I teach there as well. So lots of great ways to support the show financially. And of course, again, sharing it around is a great way to support the show painlessly, right? You just share it around. People listen to the show. Now, this is a listener-generated episode. We're going to wrap up the week with that, and it's on Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis Hamiltonian. Now, I'm going to talk just a couple of minutes about Ron DeSantis because... He really is the darling of the right currently. I mean, Ron DeSantis is probably the front runner for the 2024 nomination for the Republican Party, if you take out Trump's candidacy. Now, I'm not so certain, depending on who the Democrats put forward, this would be a good idea. And here's why. If, if, if Joe Biden is renominated by the Democrats, I don't think Ron DeSantis is the answer at that point. I think somebody else would be better. Now, they might... They might win. I don't know. And again, we're too far out to see where things are going to go politically in the next couple of years. If Joe Biden, I mean, you know, he is an elderly man. We're banking on the fact that he's going to be in good health in 2024. But if he is replaced, if Joe Biden is replaced as the nominee, let's say Kamala Harris is given the nomination, which is a distinct possibility, even though her, her approval numbers and popularity are about zero, but I could see the Democrats doing it because they think they would appeal to certain segments of their base, be, understanding that they have essentially a coalition of minority interests. Ron DeSantis would wipe the floor with her. And I think that would be the best case scenario for a Ron DeSantis, uh, Ron DeSantis candidacy, right? He needs to go in fresh against somebody that's also fresh, not Joe Biden. There will be too much expected out of a Ron DeSantis coming in following Joe Biden. And I, I mean that because Biden has been, of course, an unmitigated disaster. But Ron DeSantis, I don't think, has the temperament to do this properly. Now, if Joe Biden serves two terms, he would follow Joe Biden as well. But I think the the uh, general mood of the public would be different. 
say, six years from now rather than just two years from now? I don't know, though. It, again, it depends on everything that happens. I'm not so certain Ron DeSantis is the best choice in 2024. I mean, whether Trump is the best choice or not, who knows? I, of course, back in 2016, I was a uh, Ron Paul supporter. I mean, I'm, I'm open about that. I thought Ron Paul was the best candidate. I still think he's probably the best candidate. And I'm going to explain why I don't think Ron DeSantis would make as good of a president as people think he's a better governor than a president. And that has to do with his Hamiltonian leanings. Now, let me say this about Hamilton as well. I've said a lot of bad things about Alexander Hamilton, but I will say this. I would take Alexander Hamilton over almost anybody to be president of the United States right now. Um, Alexander Hamilton was uh, it would be superior to just about anybody else that could be nominated for president of either party. He is not a big government guy in the way we think of big government. He was a man that believed in energetic government. But if you look at his Treasury Department, there were two employees, him and another person. That was it. Hamilton didn't believe in the type of spending and debt that we have in the United States today. So I think Hamilton would certainly be preferable to anybody else. But let's talk about Ron DeSantis and why I think he would be a poor president or at least a somewhat dangerous president when it comes to the original Constitution. Now, Ron DeSantis, of course, is in the military. He is a lawyer by trade. And he is now governor of Florida, if you don't know that, if you're listening internationally. And I do have a lot of people listening internationally. So Ron DeSantis has become very popular among conservatives because of his uh, activities in the state of Florida. His, uh, he, he's been waging the culture war quite effectively in the state. <clears throat> he's pushed back against the general government in a variety of different areas. During the COVID cr crisis, Ron DeSantis was... Uh, one of the earliest to say, we're just going to open the state. We're not going to worry about it. So he has, be he has been right about a lot of different things in the state of Florida. But the state of Florida is not the United States. The state of Florida, the governor of the state of Florida has different responsibilities and powers, at least according to an understanding of federalism, than the president of the United States. Ron DeSantis has always, interested, always been interested in Florida in extreme centralization, which is fine in the state of Florida. To a point, Florida is a fairly substantial state now, a large population. And so you have to start asking questions about, well, when do we start looking at decentralization even in states? How does that work? What would provide the best form of government even for a state, which the state of Florida now has, uh, I think, two or three times as many people as the entire United States in 1790? So how do we start to look at these things? But we know, under original model of the Constitution, the governors and the states have wide-ranging powers. In fact, the states themselves have wide-ranging powers. So much so that the states should control just about every domestic problem in the United States. There really shouldn't be any federal uh, oversight of any of these issues. The courts should not have any control of any of these issues, the federal courts. So when you talk about the culture war, for example, these are all state issues. Not one of them is a federal issue. I just saw yesterday that the uh, House Oversight Committee is going to call is going to call before them the commissioner of the NFL and Dan Snyder, who owns the Washington Redskins. I mean, Commanders. So the uh, the the Congress is going to have hearings <clears throat> on workplace culture for an NFL football team, right? For an NFL franchise. Now I've looked through the Constitution, and I'm hard pressed to find where Congress has this kind of authority 
to pull before them businesses and say, we don't like your workplace culture. They don't have this power. This would be something a state could do, certainly, if they wanted to, if that's what people thought the state government should do. Now, Washington, D.C., of course, when you look at that, that's you're saying, well, this is, this is Washington, D.C. These are the Washington Redskins or the Washington Commanders. Well, their stadium is actually in Landover, Maryland. So they would be in Maryland, not the District of Columbia. They don't have a stadium in the District of Columbia anymore. So maybe you could get to a point where you could say, well, we, can, we have oversight of the Redskins or Commanders because they're the Washington football team. Uh, but they're actually in Maryland now, and I think that's where their headquarters are located. So they would actually be under the control of the state of Maryland, not the federal government. And again, this gets into municipal powers and what the federal government has and can and cannot do in Washington, D.C. That's a whole other issue. But regardless, the general government has exceeded its powers so often that we don't even question these things anymore. Oh, this is good. The general, of course, they can't, they can't pass a budget. The Congress can't do anything meaningful or responsible when it comes to the fiscal responsibilities it has. It can't do anything meaningful or responsible to, re, to, uh, to follow its constitutional authority and rein in the powers of the presidency or the Supreme Court or anything else. It can't do any of that. But it can look at uh, whether the Washington Redskins have a, have a hostile workplace environment. It can do that. So, I mean, this is where we have, I mean, people should just look at this and laugh and say, you know, what is, what is going on here? We've got inflation the way it is, and all you want to do is print money, but you can't worry about that. But certainly you can worry about what's going on with the Washington Redskins, or you can worry about what's going on in Major League Baseball or whatever else it is. You see, this is the joke of the United States Congress. It has become just that, a joke. Now, on the other hand, if Congress is worrying about those stupid things and not other stuff, well, this leaves the states open to do some of these things. And I think that's where Ron DeSantis comes into play. Governors have a tremendous amount of powers and responsibilities, and those in the states should take that on and say, we're going to be the movers and shakers when it comes to domestic policy in the United States. So Ron DeSantis, the authoritarian, Ron DeSantis, the Hamiltonian, Ron DeSantis, the centralizer, is fine in the state of Florida. But if you moved him to the presidency, I think this is where you would run into some of the problems. I'm not certain about Ron DeSantis's view on foreign policy, but I would think he'd probably be a hawk. In fact, I would think Ron DeSantis would probably be in line with what's going on with Joe Biden's activities, say, in Ukraine. I don't think there would be much difference in that. I'm not so certain uh, Ron DeSantis would be interested in, say, uh, uh, paring down our involvement in the Middle East militarily. I'm not so certain about any of that. I, he hasn't really said any of these things. And we have to understand the President of the United States, uh, his primary responsibility is foreign policy and diplomacy. That's really, I mean, when you look at the Constitution, that was one of the major responsibilities of the presidency and also to execute the laws that Congress passes. Okay, so the President was commander-in-chief of the armed forces when in actual service of the United States, but more than that, he's chief diplomat, right? I mean, the president is going to receive ambassadors, he's going to receive public ministers, he's going to, you know, foreign ministers, he's going to receive these people, and that's the job of the presidency, to have a singular voice for the union of the states when it comes to foreign policy and to ensure that the laws of Congress are executed. Now, only constitutional laws should be executed by the president. This is where you get into something like prosecutorial discretion, which the Obama administration used. Um, that's a whole nother issue that we could talk about. You know, if the, con if the law is not constitutional, the president's not bound to enforce it. 
And if the states want to say that law is unconstitutional because it infringes on our reserve powers, that's a whole other issue. I wish Ron DeSantis would do more of that than, than some of the other things he's doing. But certainly, this issue of Ron DeSantis being president is something that we should be, we should be asking these questions. Uh, Governor DeSantis, what do you think about X, Y? What do you think about foreign policy? What do you think about the powers of the presidency vis-a-vis the states? What do you think about the powers of the presidency vis-a-vis Congress? Now, he loves Alexander Hamilton, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple of quotes, one piece, and then a, couple of, and a quote by Ron DeSantis. This is from uh, April of 2019, so uh, before the COVID pandemic. But he said this, quote, I agree with Hamilton that energy in the executive is the leading character in the definition of good government. That's why I've held 100 public events during my first 100 days in office, Let's fight the good fight and keep up the hard work. So he agrees with Hamilton that energy in the executive is the leading character in the definition of good government. Now, what's funny about this, and he actually brings this back to Florida as well. He's essentially taking Hamilton as a philosopher here. Hamilton, the political philosopher in energy and government. Now, Hamilton certainly was talking about a central power. Hamilton was talking about uh, just you know broad strokes what the executive should be. Remember, Hamilton also wanted a, a king for life, right? He wanted a president elected for life. He also wanted senators for life. Hamilton in June of 1787 stands up and makes a speech that is monarchical. So does Ron DeSantis agree with that? I mean, would he agree with Hamilton's positions on, you know, an elected king or senators for life. Would he agree with that? Now, he's saying, I agree. We need to have energy in the executive. We don't need to have a passive executive. Well, okay, but what is he defined by energy? What does that mean? And this is this gets into something that he said, and this is this is a piece from uh, let's see, March 15th, 2022. And somebody sent this to me and said, Hey, what do you think about this? Uh, because DeSantis is now doubling down on his Hamiltonianism. And it was, I think somebody tagged me in this on Twitter and said, you know, Ron DeSantis, you need to learn a lesson about Hamilton. And they cited my book on Alexander Hamilton. I'm, I'm certain he didn't care about that. But here's the, here's the post. It says, Hamilton hated that. Governor DeSantis vents about Florida Constitution. Now, again, Florida Constitution as opposed to U.S. Constitution. Now, what did Hamilton think about the powers of the states? One thing that is interesting. You know, Hamilton's from New York. He didn't like George Clinton, and George Clinton didn't really like him. And George Clinton was a very aggressive executive in the state of Florida. So would Hamilton have agreed with that? We don't know much about that. I mean, Hamilton didn't have much to say about New York politics, except that he didn't want Aaron Burr to be governor. And of course, that led to his demise. Uh, We know that Hamilton spent most of his time in the orbit of, quote-unquote, national politics or federal, the federal government. And we know that uh, marrying into the family that did New York, which is a very powerful New York family, um, he was certainly not in line with Clinton's politics. The, the, the Schuylers were certainly the, the opposite of the Clintons. Clinton was you know, kind of this rough and rowdy frontier, neat political kneecapper, you know, Republican, right? Democrat in many ways, uh, with, with a lowercase d. Um, he was a man of the people, so to speak. And people loved George, uh, George Clinton in New York. They thought he was great. And the Schuylers were the aristocrats. I mean, they were the, they were the old money in New York. And certainly not 
uh, not well liked by all the people of New York, and Hamilton had had been in that orbit too. So he was he was seen as more aristocratic. But this piece says uh, Governor Ron DeSantis offered an unsolicited assault on Florida's Constitution Wednesday, something critics will say they've seen before. This time, however, it was rhetorical. During a press conference in St. Petersburg, DeSantis argued Florida's governing document deviated from principles of the founders of the United States and suggested Alexander Hamilton and James Madison would have found the state's constitution lacking. Now, this is interesting because he's saying, look, it's Hamilton and Madison wouldn't have liked the Florida state constitution. Well, how do we know that? I mean, Madison uh, was someone who uh, would made some statements about the Virginia constitution uh, during their uh, their convention in 1829, and Madison was not necessarily in favor of a very strong executive in the state of Virginia. In fact, you could argue that one of the reasons why he wanted the U.S. Constitution is because he worried about people like Ron DeSantis. He worried about Patrick Henry in his own time. He thought Patrick Henry wielded far too much power in the state of Florida. And so what Madison would have said is that, well, I think these states have too much power and the central authority doesn't have enough. So I think DeSantis is not really looking at this period of time very effectively. He's taking these things as abstractions rather than real situations that were on the ground in 1787 and 1788 and 1789. Patrick Henry wielded a tremendous amount of power in the state of Virginia. And James Madison and Thomas Jefferson didn't like Patrick Henry, and Patrick Henry didn't like them. And so what they really want... Now, now Jefferson aside, Jefferson uh, was much more uh, willing to accept Patrick Henry, even though he called Henry lazy, than James Madison was. Um, and James Madison... I mean, James Madison was an antisocial nerd. Patrick Henry didn't like him. And James Madison didn't like Patrick Henry. In fact, after Madison gets this constitution rammed through the state of Virginia... Henry goes out of his way to try to keep James Madison out of the United States Senate. Madison essentially has to go with cap in hand to his, to his uh, neighbors and get elected to the House of Representatives. I mean, Henry didn't want Madison in the general government. He was trying to get Madison out of the House, too. He didn't really want Madison anywhere near the government. He wanted to punish him because he thought that Constitution was going to be dangerous. Okay, But what Madison was trying to do is kneecap Patrick Henry. So when Ron DeSantis stands up and says, you know what the problem is? These guys wouldn't have liked Florida's constitution because it doesn't have enough power in the governor. I'm not so certain about that. I mean, Hamilton certainly wanted less power from George Clinton because he thought that the central authority should have more power. So this is where DeSantis is, again, when you deal with abstractions, the founding fathers believed in X, Y, or Z. And you can do some of this stuff when you're talking about the powers of the general government, but when you think of abstractions overall, you get into a very delicate situation. You know, John Adams, for example, wrote the Massachusetts Constitution, which is still in effect, by the way, and he wrote a book on American constitutions, and he was very much someone who would say that he wanted more power in the executives. But you got to remember who opposed him. Well... Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, and then also others, uh, Jeffersonians. They oppose him over that. So DeSantis would be more accurate to say John Adams wouldn't have liked the Florida Constitution as much because it doesn't give enough power to the executive. I'm not so certain James Madison would have been in that list. Hamilton, maybe. But again, Hamilton was suspicious of George Clinton 
and he thought that the central authority could kneecap the states. So DeSantis continues, let's put it this way, DeSantis said, in the 1960s when they did our state constitution, they were absolutely departing from some of Hamilton and Madison's insights. So 1960s, when they rewrote the Florida state constitution, they weren't listening to Hamilton or Madison when they wrote the state constitution. Well, again, the Florida state constitution is not the federal constitution, and they're different monsters, they're different animals. Now, you could say that, I mean, perhaps having a strong governor in a state would be a better thing, but you can also say that with Florida being the size that it is, now, in 1960s, it wasn't the size that it is now, but Florida being the size that it is, maybe it needs more decentralization. Maybe DeSantis has too much power in the state of Florida. I mean, you can make an argument for that. The governor was responding to a question about whether the commissioner of education should be appointed or elected when he launched into his holistic critique. Commissioner Richard Corcoran argued that he should serve at the pleasure of the governor, but referred to the post erroneously as being part of the cabinet. DeSantis corrected Corcoran a former Speaker of the Florida House, reminding him that the Department of Education is more correctly considered an executive agency. Then the governor offered far more trenchant criticisms of the 1968 legislature and the voters who ratified the modernization of Florida's Constitution, noting that the document, document's understanding of executive power is a jumbled mess. This goes back to political theory, DeSantis said. You go back and read Alexander Hamilton and how the Constitution was structured, read Hamilton on executive authority. He would not have liked parts of the Florida Constitution. So you go back and read Alexander Hamilton and how the, constant, the U.S. Constitution was structured compared to a state constitution. Again, this is, this is a non-sequitur. These are apples and oranges, right? The U.S. Constitution has nothing to do with the state constitution. But he's taking Hamilton as a political philosopher when it comes to state powers rather than the central powers. And this is, this is dangerous to do. This is why I'm not so certain Ron DeSantis would be a good president because he cannot see the two things as separate. He looks at running Florida as the way he would run the United States government. He wants tremendous executive power. He wants to come in and rule by decree, essentially. Now, the way the U.S. government is structured today, he could perhaps do this, right? I mean, you could go into the uh, the presidency and we've seen it. You can rule with a pen and a phone. This is what Obama said. And basically, we've had this for decades now. And of course, uh, this is not by design. This is because presidents have just done it and Congress won't stop it. It's why I've said that you can point back to uh, the Congress when you start saying, who really screwed up America? Was it the presidents or was it the Congress? And you know, Calhoun would put the blame at the feet of Congress, not the presidency. They're just doing whatever Congress allows them to do. Presidents are going to naturally try to take more power than what they have. Congress should stop them, and so should the states through the reserve powers. I would like to see DeSantis do more of that and be a firm proponent of federalism in that way than uh, what he's trying to do in making broad statements about executive power. The governor suggested that Hamilton would have wanted him to have more power. He would not have liked parts of the Florida Constitution. He would not have liked the fact that you have a cabinet system of government where the executive power is splintered in certain areas. Now, the founding generation did make statements about executive power. You, didn't, you wanted the executive to have the final say. You wanted the executive to have energy, and you wanted the executive to have accountability. And when you have a situation with a splintered cabinet, as he's talking about, there's no accountability, so to speak. But we also know there were members of the founding generation who were fine with a, with a uh, say, three-person executive. Right? That was the original proposal from the 
from the uh, Patterson plan coming out of New Jersey to have three executives. And there were people that talked about this. And we also know that when the singular executive was proposed in the Philadelphia Convention in 1787, the convention sat in stunned silence because they weren't certain they wanted to have this. This is one of the biggest debates in uh, the Philadelphia Convention. What kind of powers would the executive have? What kind of executive are we going to have? This is important, right? And we know that, of course, um, they eventually agreed to a singular executive, and Hamilton made this, this speech in June of 1787 where nobody, I mean, nobody implemented anything he said there. Now, Hamilton was right that eventually we get an elected king. We should just skip over the, the nonsense and get there, but nobody wanted that in 1787. DeSantis cited the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which is headed by all four cabinet members acting together with no one person accountable for FDLE. Hamilton hated that, DeSantis claimed. He thought there had to be one person who was accountable, one person who can make the decisions, and you have a very clear chain of command. Now, that's true. I mean, there was talk about accountability, but we also have to understand that Hamilton didn't win when it comes to the Constitution, right? So why are we running around citing Hamilton all the time? Hamilton's views of government didn't win. The founding generation overall didn't want what Hamilton was selling, and they got a constitution with a pretty weak executive. In fact, Hamilton also said in Federalist 69 that the president wouldn't have all of the power that we see today. Now, talking about accountability and you know singular accountability, that's one thing. And it wouldn't have just been Hamilton. There were others who would have argued this situation too. But this is where I worry about, about uh, DeSantis as president and how much power he would try to arrogate to himself as president. There's people who are critical of Hamilton and Madison, DeSantis said, but if you look back through American history, there are not many people that are smarter than Alexander Hamilton. Well, I could come up with several. I mean, this guy was absolutely unbelievable, and I think if you read him on executive power and on, on the judicial power, I'm not sure that anybody has surpassed him. We had over 240-odd years to be able to do it. Well, I could, I could come up with one very quickly, and that would be John C. Calhoun. You want to talk about somebody that understood executive power and government power? Well, it's Calhoun, not Hamilton. Um, Hamilton uh, was an interesting character, and Hamilton did have some accurate things to say. I could also say Jefferson was smarter than Hamilton, though um, Hamilton outpoliticked uh, out Jefferson when it came to uh, dealing with Washington. Um, he, was, uh, he was much more astute at working people than Jefferson was, but I think Jefferson was smarter than Hamilton. And I mean, Jefferson respected Hamilton, but I'm not so certain that Jefferson believed uh, Hamilton was the smartest guy in the room. Hamilton certainly believed he was the smartest guy in the room. But I would say that Calhoun and Jefferson were smarter than Hamilton. And John Taylor of Caroline was smarter than Hamilton. And uh, Nathaniel Macon was smarter than Hamilton. I mean, there was, we could just go down the line of people I think were smarter than Hamilton. The problem with, with all of this is that Hamilton was able to persuade the right people that his positions were sound. And that was codified then in, say, John Mar by John Marshall or by um, you know various presidents. I mean, this is what's happened with with Hamilton. So, uh, Daniel Webster, right? Daniel Webster just regurgitated Alexander Hamilton. Um, so that's the issue. If, if I could give any advice to uh, to Ron DeSantis, it would be to back it off of Hamilton a little bit. Understand that there's you have to get context on these things and not look at it as just um, absolutes or um, abstractions, because that's going to be a problem when you talk about the central government versus the state governments. All right, so that's my position on Ron DeSantis. 
And again, this was a listener-generated episode, so I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show.